In the patent infringement litigation case of GoTV Streaming LLC versus Netflix, the Central District of California denied Netflix's attempt to compel GoTV to provide information as to the source of its litigation funding. Joining me to discuss why this ruling is important when it comes to high-stake litigation is my colleague Eric Caligari. We'll be talking about this case on this installment of The Briefing by Weintraub Tobin. Eric, thanks for joining us today. Scott, great to be here. Eric, can you give us some background on the GoTV streaming uh, case and its claims against Netflix? Sure. So uh, GoTV streaming, the plaintiff filed suit against Netflix uh, back in 2022 on three patents related to uh, basically video streaming or the streaming of content uh, over uh, to mobile phones. Um, as part of the, the litigation, um, Netflix sought to compel uh, sort of who was behind uh, the litigation. They thought that maybe GoTo Streaming was not necessarily the main actor driving the litigation. Uh, and this kind of goes back a little bit, uh, it's something new in the last couple of years, where these sort of larger patent assertion entities have been coming around, you know, basically billion dollar companies uh, suing companies like Netflix over and over again through these what we'll call shell companies. Uh, where they're basically creating these um, smaller companies just to assert the patents, and they do it 5, 10, 15 times. So that's sort of where this comes from. And like I said, these patent assertion entities are a pretty new thing. It's been around for 20 or 30 years in a smaller form, but in the last couple of years, it's really blown up to where these are almost basically big businesses doing this full time, you know, getting billions of dollars a year. Yeah, those types of entities are referred to with an acronym, right? They're, what is it, non-operating entity or something similar to that? Yeah, patent assertion entity, non-operating entity. Basically, it means that they they don't make any product or services themselves. They simply uh, license or assert patents. Was GoTV, uh, to your knowledge, is GoTV a non-operating entity or was it a real company that is really involved in the licensing of its patents and and creating product? You know, I'm not sure. It may have been at some point been a, a real company. I don't. I don't know. I didn't look in. Didn't look into that. But I think at the moment that Netflix thought it was not no longer an operating company. Got it. Yeah. And Netflix argued uh, when it uh, sought to compel the disclosure of the third party uh, funding. Netflix argued that this information was essential to understanding the financial dynamics behind the lawsuit. Um, Netflix contended that such funding arrangements might create conflicts of interest, influence a litigation strategy, and were critical for a comprehensive assessment of the case and ensuring a fair trial. And GoTV, of course, argued that this information was irrelevant to the patent dispute. Uh, what's your take on Netflix's position as a patent litigator? Did they have a legitimate position or were they just trying to discover information which may uh, sway the jury one way or the other, or the trier of fact one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the argument, the argument that the court basically came to was the relevance argument. Uh, but, you know, what Netflix said they really wanted it for was, you know, as I said, uh, if it goes back, goes back, you know, GoTV claims to be sort of a smaller entity, but you can make arguments to the jury that, hey, this isn't, this isn't a da David and Goliath type case where, you know, they would be GoTV, but this is really Goliath versus Goliath, that there was, you know, billions of dollars of well-capitalized funding behind the litigation. Uh, and that can go into all kinds of things like, uh, you know, arguments to the jury, uh, possible conflicts, 
things like that. So that, that's what partly why Netflix wanted it. Yeah, I mean, to me, that would seem like a, a, a key reason, right? The litigation narrative, uh, the story that you're gonna tell to the jury, uh, is this a small little company whose patent is being infringed by big bad Netflix, or is this a profiteer? who is in the business of suing many entities that is not a small company that's well capitalized by some large, you know, fund that is uh, as well healed and well financed, well, maybe not as well healed and well financed as Netflix, but certainly well healed and well financed. I, I definitely see, um, I definitely see why Netflix would want that information. But you were going on, you were going to say there was a second reason. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's that's sort of the main reason. I mean, that, that's sort of the main reason I think why why Netflix, you know, wanted it. That was, you know, sort of underlying the what they were getting at. I mean, the only the only other maybe sort of second reason would be just to sort of understand, you know, who's suing them, who's behind this, to see, you know, say, hey, they've been I've been sued ten times by, you know, by the parent corporation here, by the entity really behind this thing, um, and to maybe you know get in, get some information as to who's you know, it's nice to know who's actually suing you. To see if there's other ways around that, good content to them so you can get a you know broader license, something like that. Right. And from your article, it seemed like the fact that the agreement between the litigation funding source, because well, let's take it, let's take it a step back. Your article um discussed the fact that there was an in-camera review of the various uh litigation funding documents, right? Do you wanna maybe explain to our viewers? what this in-camera review or what an in-camera review is and what it would necessarily involve? Sure. So that basically means that, that um, in this place, the, the plaintiff, Go TV would turn over the requested documents to the court, to the judge, and the judge would actually look at the documents and make a determination whether there was something in there that would be relevant to the litigation. Uh, so if, and if the court decided there wasn't, as they did in this case, then they would say, well, you don't have to hand this over to the defendant, Netflix, because I don't see anything in here that's going to be really relevant or goes beyond what you what you might already know. Um, and what? Go ahead. No, no, uh, no. Continue on. And as you said, sort of what it was looking for specifically in this case was you know was the um, sort of the monetary interest of the, you know, the the litigation funding aspect of it to know whether there was any valuations put in the agreements uh, that could help shed light on. Presumably, I think it, I don't know if it was specifically in the case, but specifically Netflix was probably saying that this would be relevant to damages, for example, royalty rates, things like that. Yeah. And it seemed like, uh, at least from your article, that the fact that the uh, litigation funding documents did not contain any patent valuation information relating to the patents that were the subject of the lawsuit, that seemed to be crucial to the court's ruling. Um, did that, in reading the court's ruling, did, did that strike you to be the case as well? Yeah, I think exactly right. Um, I think that was sort of, you know, after the court did the in-camera review, that was, because as I said before, the court ultimately denied the motion based on relevance, saying that there was nothing in there that went beyond what uh, Netflix already had. Uh, they did already have the name of the company, but they didn't have anything more. Uh, and since there was nothing in the in the funding documents, litigation funding documents that, that went beyond just the name. In other words, like I said before, things that might go to uh, evaluation of the patents, royalty rates, things like that. And none of that stuff was in um, the agreement. The court said, it, there's nothing else here that you need. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like one, I think that that's an important point to keep in mind for those that may uh, become parties to litigation funding agreements is um, 
not having any valuation information in the agreements or any of the documents between the parties, uh, it seemed to sway the court here. Um, the other thing is, like in, in the research that I did about this case, it seemed that a number of other commentators thought that this was a very important case, um, at least with regards to high-stake patent infringement litigation. Do you share that opinion? And if so, could you explain why this case is important? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, this is a fairly new sort of development in the law in the last couple of years, partly driven by these you know newer, bigger, really, like he's we're talking about sort of Goliath corporations that are creating these shell companies. And it's something that's sort of come around the last couple of years. So it's a fairly evolving area of the law. And there's been other cases and other courts that have looked into this in terms of how much um, the defendants, you know, get, get to look into who's really behind these litigations. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a very, you know, important piece uh, that, you know, if you're on the plaintiff side or you're on the litigation funding side to know, hey, look, if I don't want to get my name out there, you know, I got to be careful what I put into these agreements, like valuations of the patents, royalty rates, things like that. Uh, if, you know, if, if otherwise, uh, there's, it's possible that um, defendants may be able to, you know, get all of my documents. Yeah. And it also seemed important that, uh, that, that it just wasn't an easy get the, to, 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 for a defendant to obtain these documents in discovery, that there was that they would have to prove relevance. And it seems that the relevancy bar is somewhat higher, right? I mean, this is, um, you know, um, why don't you explain what a, uh, what a, a party seeking the disclosure of information and discovery has to establish with regards to relevance? And do you think that the court applied in this case, the court applied that bar properly. Yeah, so basically, you know, to get, to get discovery, you have to show relevance, which means it has to relate to a, to a claim or defense. You have to show it's somehow related or ties into a claim or defense. Um, I mean, here, here I am a little surprised. I'm not going to say the court didn't apply that properly. Um, I, I was a little surprised the court denied the motion. That wasn't relevant because relevance typically is a pretty broad standard. I mean, there's lots of case law that says it's not a fishing expedition. You can't get everything. Uh, but typically, courts will err on the side of, of relevance. I mean, usually, right, relevance is, at least from my early days of practice as a litigator, is it likely to lead to the discovery of admissible evidence, right? That seems, at least that's my, is that the, that's the general rule of relevance, right? Yeah, there's different ways that courts will look at it. Different find it. Yes, that's one, that's one way. Uh, definitely one, one standard they'll use. The other one is, you know, it's got to be related to a claim or defense, which then would lead to, you know, the discovery of admissible evidence. Um, so in this case, like I said, it was a little surprising that they wouldn't be able to say that, that these documents wouldn't some way, shape or form, go to some sort of claim or defense. One, you know, one, one big point the court did also make was that GoTV streaming the plaintiff did disclose the name of the company behind the litigation. Um, I think probably the court would have made them disclose that if they hadn't done that. So they would have given the name. The question was, did Netflix get to go any further into some of the underlying you know, litigation funding agreements, things like that? Uh, and the court obviously said, no, it wasn't relevant because there wasn't anything more you can get to that. Um, and like I said, initially, my initial take was I was a little surprised by that ruling. I guess now by that ruling, um, if you're the defendant and you're sued by a non-operating entity, you need to 
present a, I guess, a stronger argument as to why uh, that information is relevant, or maybe have a narrower scope of uh, the information that's requested and try to establish relevancy that way. Um, interesting. Well, let's keep an eye on this case. Obviously, it's a very interesting case, and um, we'll have you report back if there's some significant updates in this. But Eric, thanks for joining us. This was very interesting. Will do, and thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'm Scott Hervey from Weintraub Tobin. Thanks for joining us on this installment of The Briefing by Weintraub Tobin. I was joined by my colleague, Eric Caligari. We hope you enjoyed this, uh, this episode. If you're interested in more content like this, well, we've got about, well, over 100 episodes for you to choose from. Please remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to our podcast. And if you like this, feel free to leave us a comment. Thanks. <music>